Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. You know, Julie, I uh, I take MARTA, Atlanta's Public Transportation, to right. uh, work every day. I know you've taken it sometimes yourself. Yes, I have frequented it, MARTA myself. Yeah, and so you're completely surrounded by strangers, and if you're like me, you kind of keep your head down and eyes on your book and head in some music and try not to make eye contact. No eye contact. That's the first rule. Yeah. But you still can't help but get a glimpse of people out of in your peripheral vision. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember sneak looks. Yeah. Sneak looks. And, and occasionally you can get away with it, like genuine people watching. Yeah. But, um, that's more of a sunglasses thing. But, but at any rate, when I first started taking it, I had this uh, situation where out of the corner of my eye, I was like, oh, my goodness, that's my uh, my friend Becky who takes this uh, this train as well. And I look over and upon closer examination and, and stringent questioning, I find out that it is not her. Um, uh, oh, the questioning, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The que- you know, we, I drilled her for about an hour and she finally, you know, fessed up. No, I'm not really Becky. Uh-huh. But, Call the police. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I can I still see her occasionally and I think of her as faux Becky. Uh, is this, this doppelganger, this, this double that Becky has in the world and apparently has never met and doesn't know about and probably mm-hmm. to Becky doesn't look a lot like Becky. But, uh, I even encountered her in yoga class one time and I wanted to come up and be like, you're faux Becky. What are you doing outside of Marta? But, um, it, but this, uh, this experience though of seeing somebody else's double or seeing your own double, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you just, you find it throughout human culture in, in different uh, way, shape, and form. It might be right. spirit, um, especially the, the classic German doppelganger. Doppelganger. Doppelganger, if you to, to really. Yeah. yeah I, like, I tried it, and I don't know. You gave it a good sprockets go there. Like, <laughs> um, you know, the idea that there are, or, you know, invasion of the body snatchers, pod right. people, that there, there are doubles out there trying to replace you or replace people you love. Um it's just a, a a common item in folktale and fiction throughout history. Yeah, I mean, uh, it means double walker, right, in German? I believe so. And it actually, the, the idea, the, the pure idea, I suppose, in folklore is that it's your evil twin. Mm-hmm. And if you were to be visited by such, it would portend death. Ah, yeah. and, and not every culture has it uh, laid out like Star Trek, where you can tell your evil twin is evil because of their uh, goatee, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and actually, I mean, there are a lot of people who have said that they saw their their doppelganger, and Percy Shelley is one of them. Mm. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Ah, oh. uh, I mean, oh, it, that that falls into the whole. Did Lincoln really get shot, or was it his twin? Right, yeah. right. I mean, it gets into some creepy territory. Yeah, and uh, you know, as we're going to explore in this podcast, there are uh, th- there are various types of what we'll just refer to as doppelganger situations, encounters with a mysterious double of some kind that that have a definite scientific explanation. Um, and then that's what's fascinating about it, because something yeah. has clearly been happening to the mind. Uh, so kind of like the like we discussed in our episode on alien abduction, something is clearly happening that yeah. causes people to have extraordinary situ- uh, encounters with what seems to be the supernatural. And it becomes a part of the stories we tell. Um but you can, when you really examine it and boil it down with modern science, you find some 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 genuine reasons for what's happening. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because in the alien abduction, there's there are always these memes, right? These mm-hmm. these ideas that have a certain thread running through them. So a lot of alien abductions sound like the same sort of thing, right? Little green men, weird light, so on and so forth, and that shares uh, some similarities with doppelgangers, I think. Yeah, because it's like you you end up 
say you see yourself or you see somebody who uh who you think has been replaced yeah um it your mind ends up coming up with these reasons for it yeah. there's a story they're they're, they're replacing somebody there's some sort of uh, nefarious scheme at work the thing is, our understanding of it now is so much more nuanced. And so in the past, I think we were like, oh, that person is just certifiably nuts, yeah. right? Uh, but now through neuroscience, we have a, a better understanding of it as an ex- actual secondary condition. Yes. So if you had brain lesions, um, if you had an epileptic fit or um, some other uh, neurological damage to your brain, it's very possible that you could have this type of delusion in which you had a doppelganger of yourself, mm-hmm. or I might even imagine uh, that you right now have been replaced, that you are an imposter. Whoa. Yeah. It's possible. For you, you new listeners, you don't even know. You you have no frame of reference. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen you wear that shirt before. <laughs> that's that's odd, the way you're shuffling your papers. Well, let's, uh, well, let's get into it then. Um Let's look at uh, the first of these um, doppelganger uh, syndromes, and this is uh, Copgras syndrome. That's right. And this was discovered by French uh, scientist Joseph Capgras in 1923, right? Yes. This syndrome basically breaks down to you have end up with this strong suspicion that imposters are replacing friends and or loved ones. Right. And and everywhere else, you're you're completely functional, right? Right. Like your logic is completely intact. Um, nothing wrong with you except that. Right. It's, it's the pod people thing, the invasion of the body snatchers. Right. Something you, you, you run into, say, your mother or, um, a close friend and you're talking to them. They, they look like your mother. Uh, but there's something off. There's something that's not right. That's not clicking. And, and, and you realize and, and your, your brain totally rationalizes that something has replaced them. Right. And, or someone. And you've actually covered this in a blog post before. Uh, there was this one specific instance where there was uh, a guy, I think he was maybe in his 20s at the time, uh, but he was being treated by Dr. V.S. Ramachandran. Mm-hmm. And he had an accident. He had some brain damage. And he, honestly, he was perfectly fine, cognitively you know, functioning, except that he was uh, he was convinced that his parents had been Im- replaced by imposters mm-hmm. and were, you know, complaining to them day and night and basically saying, like, you know what? That lady that was here this morning that made me the breakfast, I like her better. <laughs> Those eggs were really good. You know, sort of imp- yeah. implying that the, the person that was standing right there, his mother, was the imposter. So the way this breaks down is that each of us has a visual system. And a limbic system, which helps to generate and process emotions. Right. All right. So there's a there's a screw up in the visual system here, uh, and and then it's left to to uh, to the to other parts of the brain to interpret that data, um, uh, particularly the uh, amyg- amygdala. Right. The right. Amygdala is the emotion processing center. Right. Right. Okay. And uh, so it has to it has to make sense of this, right? He's like it, it gauges the again the emotional significance of what you're looking at, trying to figure out you know what's going on there. Is this is this a threat? Is this a dangerous? Is this something mm-hmm. to ignore? And uh, and so it ends up getting excited, and it ends up and, and ends up applying a, an interpretation or a meaning to it. Mm-hmm. So it's um, the, one way I was thinking of it. It's kind of like so you have a, an, an editor and a journalist at a newspaper. Okay. Um, and uh, say that's just like a star journalist, right? 
and the editor just will always go go to bat for that to that for that journalist to defend what they've written. You know, someone says, "Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're uh, they've got the story straight in this article." They say, "No, totally. This person's always done right by us. This one know this this guy knows his story." Right. And then imagine that that journalist, I don't know, screws up one day. Maybe has a um, you know a head injury or something, and and or or is just totally misinformed on something. The journalist is still going to go to bat for him. I mean, uh, I mean, the editor's still going to go to bat for that journalist and be like, be like, look, this uh, this person's totally uh, totally knows their beat. They they've got all the facts. Um, you know, totally trust them. Stellar so, creds. Stellar creds. So it's kind of a similar situation with these mm-hmm. two systems in the brain. This one system is getting something wrong, but the other side is totally going to go to bat for it and say, yeah, there's something wrong with this person. It's uh, it's it must be um, it's a double. It's a um, it, it ends up creating a story in which this uh, neural problem mm-hmm. makes sense. Well, that's what I think is so fascinating about this is that you've got the fusiform gyrus, right, mm-hmm. which is the part of your brain that recognizes the face, and so it it's recognizing the the mom and dad's face, right? In the case of uh, David, I believe is the subject here. Mm-hmm. Um, David's mom, dad knows it. But that the thread to the amygdala is all sorts of crazy shredded or, you know, what it's it's not working. Mm-hmm. And so that emotional processing isn't there. So David can say, yes, that is my mother. That is my father. And yet I don't feel those feelings of love for them. And then the brain can then take that, as you say, uh, anxiety sets in and, and start to weave a story around that. That is fascinating that your brain is capable of doing that, that instead of sustaining brain damage and having your entire brain dim like a light bulb, you know, mm-hmm. it everything else is functioning except for this one little part. And the brain is like, you know what? We'll, we'll just run with this. Yeah. Try to make sense of this with the data that we do have. Yeah. We're not going to shut down production just because something's a little fishy. We're going to we're going to work. with. Yeah. It. And therefore, you know, David's parents, they must be imposters. That's what makes sense. Right. Because yeah. if you don't have that feeling of love, that connection, then then that would be what your brain might perceive. Yeah. Uh, and this can be the interesting thing about this, too, is it's not necessarily like a situation where it has to be extreme brain uh, brain trauma, like alcoholism, can play a role in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, pitu- pituitary tumors, migraines, um, you know, again, severe That's head right. injuries, Alzheimer's, um, schizoaffective disorders, um, a whole host of there can be a whole host of causes for this. Yeah, and and in in many cases, you can effectively treat the primary cause. And uh, this doppelganger or uh, or you know mysterious double or or body snatcher uh, scenario mm-hmm. will just fade away. That's right. You can. I mean, if it's a brain tumor, you could treat the brain tumor, and hopefully it would would completely uh, go away. Or you could use antidepressants if it's not a brain tumor, or in conjunction with it. Um, if it's dementia, though, that's a problem because you, you're continually going to have some sort of deterioration going mm-hmm. on in the brain. So in some cases, with dementia, it actually worsens. Yeah, and, it, and and when it worsens, it can also end up with situations where uh, an indiv- individual attacks uh, or becomes violent towards uh, the other uh, individual. Yeah, you know? you know, I have this idea in my head, and I, I don't know if it's some sort of um, myth, but I feel like someone perceived their uh, family member to be a robot mm-hmm. and actually ended up decapitating the person to see, <laughs> to verify whether or not they had some... Robotic acuity going on. Huh. Yeah. Well, so if that's if, one way to tell. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the extreme. So if you have a loved one asking about where your lithium ion battery pack is, uh, seek shelter. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow.
Yeah, and indeed, if you have any suspicion that uh, somebody has been replaced in your life uh, by by an imposter, uh, go to the doctor first. Yeah. Before you call the police or take matters into your own hands, because it's uh, it is I almost guarantee it's something neurological going on and not uh, yeah. a, a, some sort of a twisted uh, scheme to uh, disrupt your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we know this too because Ramachandra, the the doctor treating David. He could actually test the emotional response and verify this lack of emotional mm-hmm. response. Uh, he uses the galvanic skin response. And, and of course, we know that uh, you attach electrodes to your hand. And then when you think about someone that you know, a loved one, in theory, you should start sweating, right? Because you're, you're having some sort of emotional response. Right. And, and um, when Ramachandran tested this, there was absolutely no response whatsoever to his parents. It was absolutely flat. So he knew he had he had some verification that this was what was going on. In addition, and I thought this was really interesting, um, David, the subject, when he would speak to his parents on the phone, he he didn't have the feeling that they were imposters. He -hmm. he was like, well, where have you been? Wow. So like on the phone, everything's fine. Yeah, absolutely fine. God, when you, when you, you bring know. in the visual realm. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, what Ramachandran posited is that the auditory circuitry was left intact hmm. during uh, the, the damage that he sustained and that it was actually fine. And he ended up verifying that as well. So it's really kind of trippy that he could get on the phone with his parents and be like, oh, my God, did you know that you've been taken over by someone? Like, they're in your house right now. It's getting to be you. I wonder how come, like, the mom couldn't call and say, like, look, (laughs) there's my double is going to come over and cook breakfast this morning. I know her breakfast isn't as good as the breakfast uh, that I cook, but just be polite. Uh, right. Be kind. And I'll talk to you tonight on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, who knows? Maybe she tried it. You yeah. know, it, maybe that made it worse, though, because then he was <laughs> like, I, OK, now I know for sure. Yeah. Because my mom, my real mom on the phone told me. That's <laughs> true. All right. Well, that's one doppelganger down. Uh, let's turn to another um, another interesting uh, syndrome, and that would be the syndrome of subjective doubles. Yes. Now, this is uh, this is not a. Uh, you, oh, you know, you're on the train and you look over and you see somebody who looks like a friend of yours. This is where you get on the train and um, maybe maybe at, maybe at the the far end of, of the car you, you climb onto, maybe just exiting as you come on, you see yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying, right? Yeah. This is more like the classic German doppelganger. There is a, someone out there that has either taken on my appearance or is trying to take on my appearance. And clearly they're up to no good. Well, in a study that you actually shared with me, there was a, a, the case of Miss A, right? Uh, oh, yes, Miss A. Yeah, she, she, 18 years old, she thought that her neighbor was putting on these elaborate prosthetic masks and wigs mm-hmm. and masquerading as her. And uh, uh, she believed the, the gang was putting her, them, that's putting right. the other person up to it. That's right. There was some sort of puppet master gang out there that was uh, putting her up to it, and those people uh, were spying on her or whatnot. So there was some sort of paranoia that's woven into this as well. Um, and these, um, those, these doubles actually replicated themselves when she was admitted to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And she got very upset and insisted that the doubles of her be unmasked. Um, and, and again, here's again instances yeah. where violence come into play. Yeah. Like she was actually like leaping at the double and like trying to, uh, to attack it. Uh, I mean, attack her, attack the, right. the, her perceived double and insisting that the doctors tear the mask off. Uh, because she she thought that that she believed that they were quote putting on a wig and a mask and walking from room to room stealing things in order to incriminate her. Yeah, so, 
Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah. And what they found is, though, that she suffered from epileptic seizures. So, again, here's another case where it's secondary. She may have had some other conditions um, that had to do with mental instability in addition to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit unclear from that study. But what was clear is that this could definitely be some sort of indirect uh, process going on. Yeah, it seems like if you're the type of – if you've suffered through something or you just end up with the, the, the mental um, – uh, you know, architecture that, uh, that, that makes you think people are out to get you or you're very suspicious of people. It seems like the stronger that is, the, uh, the stronger that's going to be when you perceive a double. Uh, right. Right. And she was treated with a number of things, antidepressants, electroshock therapy. Yeah. So, you know, sad. Um, but what I thought was interesting about this is that we have heard about these epileptic auras before that there's this sense that someone might be there. And Susan Blackmore, uh, we've talked about her before. She, she's shown up in our abductions podcast before and she's also a medicist. She's the one with blue hair. She's blue, pink, yellow, okay. all okay. sorts of stuff. Uh, she's a skeptic and a psycho, uh, analytic chick, so to speak. Uh, she's great. And she actually visited a Dr. Michael Persinger at one point, um, to undergo some manipulation on her own temporal lobes to see if she could have this sort of sense of someone else being there, this hallucination or rather this delusion uh, replicated in herself. And Persinger used these magnets on her temporal lobes. This is the so-called God machine, right? Yeah, he's he's done a, a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the God machine, yeah, is 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 was nicknamed that because it, it, those sort of euphoric feelings of another uh, are present, uh, hence the God machine. But she actually had the same thing happen to her. So when he used those magnets on her temporal lobes, she felt like there was someone in the room with her. So it's really amazing that we can get it down to this point in science where we can actually duplicate the duplication, so to speak. Yeah, and it, it's it's almost kind of like a like a really potent uh, form of déjà vécu. You know, it's uh, except really really strong. Yeah, and uh, and, and very disorienting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, yes, it's actually kind of a tragedy, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, for people who cannot uh, alleviate it, I mean, the suicide rate is pretty high. Yeah. Um, so eh, it's a little bit depressing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's easy. For, it's easy to look in from the outside of, of, uh, of pretty much any kind of mental illness or a, or a neurological disorder and say, oh, well, that, you know, I can see the exit from that maze. But mm-hmm. when you're actually in that mental labyrinth, it's not uh, not so simple. Yeah, and it's yeah. another example of how your mind is really beautiful but can be really sick at the same time. Yeah. You know? uh, but another example of this, clonal pluralization of self. Now, this one's great. This one's – this is more like you're on the train, and it's not that you're seeing your double, but you are seeing yourself. That person isn't an imposter, but it's another you. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, kind of like any – any type of um, any of these films where, like, suddenly a, a person clones himself and completely illogically, it's a, comp- a comp- an actual double of them, or somebody yeah. travels in time and is hanging out with themselves. It's it's that sort of scenario. It's sort of like if my twin all of a sudden showed up. Yeah, yeah, and which is like happened to this eighty-six-year-old man, right? Yes, Mister. Um, oh no, I, I don't. I don't think we have a name for him. No, we don't. Yeah, eighty-six-year-old. Um, I, I believe he's Hungarian. Uh, mentioned in a 2009 study, and yeah, suddenly his uh, his this doppelganger shows up. His his it's not even a, a twin, but it's perceived as as him. Like as right him, down to the yeah. clothes, he's wearing the same clothes as this guy. Yeah, and um, it's it's this is a real um, 
twist on on our last scenario because because uh, there's not like a oh my goodness I need to bar the door because um, right. my doppelganger has shown up <laughs> he's just like oh I have company come in yeah. come in let's let's have tea let's do crossword puzzles that and they did they <laughs> literally did crossword puzzles together. And um, and that's the interesting thing to well, note I, here. Well, I don't know if they well in literally his mind. It's difficult in this scenario. Right, right. But, literally yeah. in his mind, they did it together. But um, so for him, it was a sense of comfort, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like this guy's lonely, and then who's who better to hang out with but yourself when they show up on your doorstep? <laughs> right, right. And uh, and he was kind of like, well, I seem to have this twin, and I think we're the same person. Let's do some experiments. So the the crosswords was one. Like they each supposedly took the crosswords into a different room. Right, and they they filled out the crossword puzzle, and then when they came in uh, to compare notes, they had the exact same answers. Can you imagine that? I, I it's yeah, I, I I can imagine it even more if they were playing Scrabble against each other. Well, no, no, they wouldn't have the same tiles, or would they? I don't know. This is uh, yeah. it's really hard to predict because <laughs> you're in pretend world now, yeah. right? Um, but he did have brain lesions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and the neurologist, Dr. Feinberg, actually said uh, something along the lines of the brain lesions and neuropsychological impairments are necessary, right, for this condition. For this condition, but the full development of these syndromes depends upon the individual's responses to his or her defects as much as the defects themselves. Which I thought was interesting because they had gone on in the study to say that clearly he was lonely. Yeah. And that this this twin, although it's, it's a figment of his imagination brought on by the lesions, he still had this subjective ring to it where it was like, you know, as long as I'm going to have this delusion, I might as well, ha- you know, copy myself and have a buddy, you know. <laughs> Another experiment that he uh, performed with the double, um, according to, to this guy, was that uh, – one of them would stand in the house and the other would stand outside. And the one standing outside would describe what the one inside was seeing on the wall, described like the exact size and, and right. uh, details of paintings uh, that the guy had framed um, because they could see through each other's eyes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I laugh, but it's just it's just kind of sort of funny. Um, and there's also another aspect to this, uh, just uh, uh, going off on what Feinberg said and talking about how there's the subjective quality to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Carol Berman talked about how the negative aspects of a person uh, that are are psychologically turned into a disassociation with that person. And this is more in Capgras, right? Yeah. Where you, where you think there's an imposter. So in other words, uh, if I if I think that you're an imposter, Robert, and let's say that you're... Um, you're tapping your fingers on the desk. Okay. Then I might say, like, that might actually annoy me, and that might turn into another reason why I think that you're an imposter. Huh. And what is so interesting about the the blog post that you have, you've got a um, an embed in there of the YouTube video with David, and you can see David talking to his father and saying, you know, you drive too fast. But my real dad, like, he he's a much better driver <laughs> than you, and it's like this ultimate passive aggressive act of saying, you know, could you slow down a little bit? So, I mean, and of course, David is not sitting there pretending to have cap just so that he can, you know, say this little zinger of passive aggressiveness. But it's an interesting side note to see that these negative attributes that they see in other people then sort of underscore that their feelings for that person being an imposter. Huh. Yeah. Now, um, the there's an interesting end to the story of the uh, 86-year-old Hungarian man. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that's that they uh they they treated him. Uh they were treat they treated him with uh, with various medications and his condition improved. Uh but and and so 
this double ends up, for all intents and purposes, vanishing. Yeah. But again, the mind has to make sense of this. It has to, it has to roll with these changes. It can't just vanish right. and go away. So the version, uh, well, I mean, I guess it could if one were, say, engaging in, in some sort of, uh, the type, the type of supernatural occurrence that would, that where it would make sense for this person to, to vanish. Oh, okay, uh, you know, right. Like if it was like an angel or an alien, I don't or know. Or they're like Doug Henning is my yeah, that's, double. that's your double. But uh, the way this guy interpreted was that they had merged into one person. They'd like they had come together, and he would talk to himself for a while, like like they were still, like it didn't just completely vanish. It it kind of right. faded, and and so he would continue to talk to himself uh, a fair amount of the time. But there wasn't a, necessarily a sense of a physical other, and, right? And uh, and eventually it got back to where he could, you know. He, he was a lot more normal in right. his daily life. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, here's this person who, other than this, is functioning fine in the world. Mm. So good thing that he got cohesive with his personalities. Uh, there's one other one in this sort of uh, what you would call delusional misidentification syndromes, and that is the mirrored self-identification. Oh, yeah. This one, uh, this one's pretty interesting too because it brings to mind the the classic gag that uh as far as i know originated in the marx brothers film uh duck soup yes where um you know and, and you if you haven't seen that film or this scene then you've seen some version of it in a cartoon or a sitcom and it's where one person is pretending to be the mirror image of the other uh, maybe it's like a, uh, you have like a picture frame, but there's no actual glass or mirror. Right. And so one person thinks, oh, that's my reflection. But the person that's dressed like them or looks like them on the other side is just shadowing their movements. And so the, you know, one person, uh, the, the one person on one side will, will sort of, will move around and suddenly make a, you know, some sort of, um, uh, strange movement to try and throw off his quote reflection. Right. And, uh, and try and, uh, and, and eventually in some cases, um, uh, reveal the uh, false reflection uh, for what it is. This is also a mime exercise too, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they they found a case where there were two dementia patients, right? Who who were, I mean, they weren't miming or uh, were they doing Mark's brother routines? But they could no longer recognize their faces in the mirror. Right now, they could recognize other people's faces in mirrors, so it wasn't like just a weird, screwy mirror thing. It was when they were looking at their own face in the mirror, they. They were like, who is this guy? Who right. is this handsome devil? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but they also suffered from right side brain lesions. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the portion of the brain, the fusiform gyrus that's associated with self-recognition. Yeah, like even if you're using self-describing adjectives. Yeah. Uh, it'll. This is the portion that lights up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I guess you would say it's similar to face blindness, right? Except yeah. for that you, with face blindness, you are blind to everyone all the time. Yeah. Right. Even yourself. Right. But this is, uh, this is more selective. Just, just like, I don't, I don't know who that is. So I guess that's me, but doesn't look like me. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the final specter that I thought was interesting that popped up in some of our research is something called the third man phenomenon or the third man factor. Oh yeah. This one's, this one's really fascinating. Uh, so you've probably heard some version of this story before. Um, and, and that is you have some sort of extreme situation um, you know, it's a, you know, it's like, it's, it's explorers in the Antarctic or the Arctic. It's, it's, it's climbers, um, you know, on, on Everest. It's, you know, people in one of the World Trade Center towers. Yeah. You're in an extreme situation. It's life and death. And 
suddenly there's somebody there to help you. Right. You're like emotionally, you're haggard. Your body physically is at its end of its rope, right? Yeah. And then it's like a guardian angel, uh, you know, an alien, a spirit, uh, you know, something, something supernatural has appeared and, and there's this sense of maybe things are going to be all right. And, and like, and in some cases it's actually manifest as a, a physical helping hand, like some, somebody yeah. is helping you up. And, uh, and then they're gone after things are cool. It's like, like a superhero has jumped in and saved the day. No, you're right. In every single story, once they have uh, surmounted their obstacle, that, that person vanishes, right? Yeah, and they're like, who was that masked man? Yeah. yeah. Um, a good example is Frank Smith, 1933, climbing Mount Everest. He went with a group of people. He was the last one to make it to the, to almost make it to the summit at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he was feeling weak and hopeless. He didn't know if he could go on. And so he had. And he's in the death zone, right? Yeah. He's low yeah. oxygen area. We've, uh, I think we've discussed this in the past. Like this is a good model for, for some of the things that can happen in space when, uh, when yes. you have low oxygen levels, uh, aboard a spaceship. Right. It so really mess with your mind. Yeah. I mean, at this point you're not thinking clearly anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole time he had been discussing something with, with a, a person that he felt was behind him the whole time. And, um, and at this point where he was at his, his, uh, most hopeless. Uh, he actually turned to get some food and share it with this person and was completely shocked that that person wasn't there <laughs> to receive like the other half of his, whatever a 1933 cliff bar is or whatever. Um, I, I interpret it as like a half of a tuna fish sandwich on white bread when I read the account. You did. Yeah. Listen, well, I mean, that's the ideal food to split with, uh, you know, an imaginary devil, I think. Huh? Get some protein, carbs yeah. and tasty mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Um, but he actually thought he this is a quote from him. He said, it seemed that I was tied to my companion by a rope. And if I slipped, he would hold me. I remember constantly glancing back over my shoulder. Hmm. Um, and again, it's not it's not a surprise, right, that this is happening. The surprise is that it's happening so frequently in so yeah. many different instances. Yeah. Again, you see it uh, happen in, in just various accounts of it. I mean, you have uh, other famous uh, stories from, uh, say, uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton uh, during uh uh, his trans uh, Antarctic uh, expedition. Uh, yeah, there was a the sense that they were being uh, accompanied by this third man. Uh, it's it's referenced in uh, uh, by T. S. Eliot, who is that third yeah. man walking b- beside you. And is that the, the group too that perceived him? It wasn't just him. Yes, they, yeah, I believe it was. The they group, all yeah. discussed it later and thought there was a another person that wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I was reading uh, uh, an article on Scientific American that. Uh, that nails down some of the actual reasons for, okay. for what's happening. And they're, they're all pretty interesting. One is that uh, it, it, one factor is isolation. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a case where it's like one guy out in the middle of nowhere or uh, or even if, if it's like an extreme situation and you have, uh, you know, there are other people around, there's a certain isolation in in, in, in near-death experience, it seems. Yeah. And uh, so this isolation can trigger the mind to hallucinate the normal feelings we have when we're working or traveling with other people around. Uh, you know, it's like we're constantly surrounded. There are people in our in, in our peripheral vision, and uh, the mind can sort of hallucinate that they're still there in some fashion. Yeah. Um, the other uh, other possibility is uh, rational um, uh, cortical control over emotions shuts down due to oxygen deprivation, mm-hmm. such as uh, you know death zone, uh, sleep deprivation, or exhaustion, which are certainly you know if you're struggling for your life, you may not have time for a nap, especially if going to sleep. <laughs> Yeah. And sub-zero temperatures would mean death. And so this opens the door for inner voices, 
and imaginary companions. Uh, and, and this reminds me a lot of, um, of some of the accounts, uh, that have been studied of alien abduction. Uh, yeah. the, uh, the individual who was on the bike ride and had been up for a long time was just pushing himself to the limits. And then he falls out and, uh, interprets the events as aliens coming to abduct him. Well, what's interesting about this is that in every single one of these accounts, um, you know, in some of, some of the, um, Capgra and the, um, and the other misidentification syndromes and abductions, mm-hmm. epileptic seizures, um, and the auras and delusions that accompany them, the tempora parietal junction is, is the at issue, right? And mm-hmm. so the temporal lobe is responsible for processing images and long-term right. memory. And then the parietal lobe is what w- helps us map objects, um, as coordinates. So when you talk about seeing someone in your periphery and misunderstanding that that's the, that's the, those, that's the juncture that is processing all of this information. And so, it, I mean, even if you think that there is some sort of, uh, truth to what maybe the person's personal account is, you have to, to think about how in every single one of these cases, that's the area of the brain that's being compromised. Yeah. Yeah. Another, uh, another thing too, the temporal lobe, um, handles, uh, body schema. Which yeah. we, uh, which we've mentioned on the, uh, the tool users podcast that that's how the, the, when you are using a tool, it becomes an extension of your own body mm-hmm. because it's tied up in the body schema. Um, well, the temporal, uh, lobe body schema can be tricked in some cases into in seeing in, in, into interpreting a double. So instead of interpreting just your body doing things, it kind of gets double vision. Yeah. So, and again, yeah. here's your brain taking the data that it has available to it. Yeah. And constructing these stories. Yeah, so you can imagine like this sort of double vision where instead of you opening the door to escape the burning building, it's interpreted as some other person opened that door so you could escape. And and uh, the, the brain writes the rest. Right. And it's fascinating that in that life or death situation that it can spring from the font of fabulism and, and create this little story to get you some fire up under your bum and get you going. Yeah. So as far as fictional doppelgangers and mysterious doubles go, do you have any particular favorites? Mm, there are a lot of them, but I really like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Cause I oh, think that's yes. the, the perfect evil twin example. That is, that's one of, that's one of the really iconic ones for sure. Yeah. You? Uh, yeah, the ones that I really like are, I mean, I love a, a story about an evil doppelganger. I'm a real yeah. sucker for those, but I also really like the ones, uh, that are kind of like the story of the 86 year old Hungarian man where, where the, the doppelganger is either accepted with or, or just dealt with in a kind of curiosity. Um, uh, Alan Robe Gourlay, the, uh, uh, now deceased French, uh, author, uh, had a book called Repetition, which starts out with the, uh, the narrator discussing, um, uh, the, uh, his double that he occasionally encounters, uh, uh while, uh, I, th- I think typically on the train. And, uh, and, and so that's a really interesting book. And then, uh, a horror author, Brian McNaughton has a story called the the Vendron Worm, uh, which deals with a guy who will occasionally uh, glimpse this stranger, this kind of double that he uh, that, that he can't quite explain, but ends up being tied to something really uh, uh, ghastly and horrifying. But but huh. but before he finds out the reason, he's just kind of like, oh, there's my double, you know, and you just sort of come to accept it, which I, I find is a really interesting take on the whole scenario. It's very European of you just to be like, you know, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> It's kind of what the story, brand does, say, you know, you know? In, in many of these cases. It's like, let's go with it. Let's make sense of it. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, like the American mentality is uh, conquer it, right? Yes. Give let's it some drugs. Attack it. Give it some drugs. Call the police. Call your mother. 
One, you know, <laughs> whatever it takes. So if, if you have uh, any interesting tales of doppelgangers and mysterious doubles in your life, uh, if the the reflection in the mirror doesn't look quite right and you don't have a good Marx Brothers explanation for it, uh, let us know. You can uh, drop by Facebook or Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. And if you or your doppelganger would like to drop us a line, please do so at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. <laughs>